I'm going to share a story with you that I shared with our high school students at camp a couple of weeks ago. But before I begin, I need to make sure that you understand, do not try this at home. Is everybody clear? Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and with 11 a.m. passion and enthusiasm, tell them, don't try this at home. I was in college, <laughs> that is all good stories begin, and Julie and I had begun dating. She was at Baylor, and I was in Waco visiting her and hanging out with her and her roommates, and it just so happens that my younger brother Patrick also was enrolled at Baylor at the time, and it was Friday evening, the sun had set, we were hanging out, I think we had finished dinner, and the phone rang. And just so you know, this was a phone that you, these are what used to be connected to the walls in people's houses. And, and it rang, and Julie answered, and it was Pat. She goes, it's your brother. I said, hey, Pat, what's up? He goes, Mac, a train just went by my house. I'm like, Pat, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. That you're, that you're having a good day. I didn't know. He goes, no, you don't understand. I've timed it. When the train goes by my house, 10 minutes later, there's a huge bend in the track where it has to slow down. And if you'll meet me there right now, we can jump a freight train tonight. I said, I'm in. I hung up the phone. I said, Julie, I got to go. She goes, where are you going? I said, I don't know. Pat and I are going to jump a freight train. She said, Father, just right now, I pray that you... No, she didn't do that. But I went and met Pat at the appointed place and... Then we drove to where the train was going to slow down, and we got there just at the right moment because we could hear the train as it came off of the bend where it had slowed down, kind of slowly picking up speed and momentum. And Pat said, listen, get back over here because they don't want us to jump the train. That should have been my first clue right there. He said, let's hide behind these trees and bushes, and then when the engine gets past us, we'll go jump on. I was like, I'm in. Pat was right behind me. I was kind of cowering down behind the tree, and he goes, back up, back up. So I backed up. He goes, no, back up a little bit further. And I backed up a little bit further. The engine went past us, and I backed up one more step, and I heard behind me the following. Ha, ha, ha! I thought, Pat has died. Now, just spoiler alert he didn't die he's 50 years old alive and well he's got a wife and two kids this is doing fine but in that moment I thought my little brother Pat had died and worst of all I was gonna have to tell mom I said Pat Pat are you okay and from below me in pitch black darkness all I heard was this <laughs> I go, what happened he goes all I know is I fell about 15 feet down a concrete embankment into a drainage ditch I go, what are you in right now? He goes, I have no idea what's in this water. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of grabbed hold of a tree or a root or something and, and reached down and kind of shimmied down and handed him my hand. I pulled him back up, and he was soaking wet from head to toe. The good news is we had taken his car to that spot. <laughs> Needless to say, my brother Patrick and I missed that train that night. But as I was preparing for this week's message, as we continue this series biography, I thought about that night and I thought, how many times do we miss what God has in store for us, what he has planned for us because of distractions? How many times 
Do we get distracted from what God has created us for, what he has planned for us because of distractions? Sometimes, if we're honest, distractions that we actually chase and pursue ourselves intentionally. The story of the life of Samson is a story of a life marked and marred by distractions. If you were going to release a biography of Samson's life, you could call it the danger of distractions. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 13, the Bible begins to tell us the story of Samson. And as you're looking up Judges 13, I think it's important for us to understand and, and just to kind of remember as we go through this series biography, the reason that we're doing it is twofold. Number one, to, to learn from the people who populate the pages of Scripture, to learn about their lives and the principles of how we interact with a perfect and loving and good and sovereign God. But also, as we go through this series, we're learning the muscle memory of, of how to read Scripture, how to, how to read the Bible for all that it's worth on our own and take what we do here and translate it to Monday through Saturday as well. And the life of Samson is a phenomenal opportunity to do that. And I've already kind of given away the punchline a little bit that his life was marred and marked by distractions. But Samson's life, like yours and mine, began with so much promise. Specifically, Samson's began with a literal promise from God to his parents. In Judges chapter 13, the Bible says that Samson's mother and father had not had any children when they were visited by an angel, a messenger of God. And here's, here's what the messenger said to Samson's mother in announcing that she would have a son. Verse 4, the angel says to Samson's mother, So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite. From birth, he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Now, this Nazarite dedication means that, that Samson would be set apart to and for the purposes of God, literally from before the day he was born. And the Nazarite vow is something that God had given to his chosen people, Israel. It's detailed for us in Numbers chapter 6 as God is giving the law of Moses to Moses. And it's referenced again in Amos chapter 2. But essentially what the Nazarite vow meant was that a person would be set apart for the purposes of God for a certain period of time. And as a statement, as a symbol of this set-apartness, they would never cut their hair. They would never drink alcohol, not because alcohol in and of itself was bad or sinful, but that was just part of this Nazarite vow. And they would never come close, much less touch, a dead body or the carcass of any animal. This was to be Samson's life from the moment he was born. Sometimes Nazarite vows could be taken for a period or a season of time. But Na Samson's life was to be marked by this Nazarite vow. Now, Nazarite is different from somebody who was from the town of Nazareth like Jesus was in the New Testament. That was a Nazarene. This is a Nazarite vow. 
And Samson is set apart from early in his life, from before the day that he was born. But Samson had other symbols, other signs of his set-apartness. The Bible goes on to tell us that Samson grew to be an enormously strong man. I, I, I picture somebody like, like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. I mean, he, he was cut. He just had it going on physically as part of this special set-apartness. And God was using him to release Israel from Philistine oppression. If the word Philistine rings a bell with you, you might remember when David fought Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine, a Philistine, a giant of a mountain of a man, bigger probably than even Samson. But Samson was given this enormous physical strength as a manifestation of this, of this Nazarite vow. But, but, but Samson, Samson had a, a real he had a real Achilles heel. He, he had a place that he was very, very vulnerable in his life. You see, Samson had an eye for the ladies. Samson was a he-man with a she-weakness, and it reared its head over and over and over and over and over and over. You, you get the point. This was, this was Samson's primary area of vulnerability. In, in Judges chapter 14, look, look at this exchange that happens in Samson's life. One day when Samson was in Timnah, this is a town, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Mm -hmm. That's where it always starts, isn't it? Philistine woman caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Rather bold of Samson, don't you think? Get her for me. Now, Samson's mother and father were understandably upset by this, not because they thought Samson was better than a Philistine, but they understood, they knew that if their son began to marry into a different religion, into a group of people who held a value system different from theirs, that that was a compatibility problem that would haunt him the rest of his life. This is why the Bible says in the New Testament that we should be equally yoked with a spouse, that at the core of who we are in our souls, if you're talking about getting married, you're talking about compatibility, hopefully. And where you are in your soul spiritually is the core of compatibility. It, this, is, this is different than, hey, you like comedies, I like action movies. This is, goes to the very core of who you worship, what you worship, what you anchor your life in. And so Samson's parents were upset by this. As a matter of fact, his mother said, isn't there one single Israelite that, that kind of catches your eye that you could see yourself with? And he says, no, get that one for me. Look at what the Bible says in verse 4. This is fascinating. His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. So even Samson's weakness for women, God was able to use for his purposes. Now, let's be very, very clear. 
this does not give us license to do whatever we feel like doing because God's going to get it done no matter what. We're, we're going to find that Samson paid a significant price throughout his life for the distractions that he chose to chase. I, I, heard, I heard one old, old preacher put it this way, that God can hit a straight lick even with a crooked stick. I love that. that but again, that doesn't mean that we should go out of our way to be the crooked stick. Think about what God can do with a straight stick. And, and Samson had this weakness. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says that in the lead up to his wedding to this Philistine woman, Samson's prospective in-laws selected his best men, a group of 30 men, Philistines. And, and Samson gave them a riddle. He said, if you can solve this riddle, then I, I will pay you money out of my own pocket. And, and he gave them the riddle, and the groomsmen went around Samson to his fiancée to find out the answer to the riddle. She gave them the answer. Samson had to pay them out of his own pocket, but Samson was hacked. He was so angry that the Bible says he went and killed 30 men from Timnah by himself. And while he was away killing people, his prospective father-in-law went, oh, I don't think so, and gave his daughter away to somebody else to be married. This, I mean, do you see the dysfunction on top of dysfunction just piling on? These distractions over and over and over again. The Bible goes on to list these incredible strengths, feats of strength. At one point, Samson, the Bible says, went and caught 300 foxes tied their tails together, and then lit the tied tails on fire and turned them loose through Philistine crops to burn their crops to the ground. So he was a bad guy, but he was creative. So I, we'll, we'll give him some credit for that. It also says that he took the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines by himself. At, at one point, he went to the town of Gaza. Gaza was one of the Philistine main cities, and, and he physically tore the city gates off of their hinges and took them up on top of a hill across the valley so that they could see what he had done. I mean, he, he was a hulk of a man, but he had this problem with women and he had this problem with rage. And we are just getting started. This, this, is, just the, this is just the introduction to the biography of Samson. Because in Judges chapter 16, we meet the femme fatale of all femme fatales. I'm talking about Delilah. Say Delilah. I mean, just the name means, ooh, trouble's coming. Look at what happened. Judges chapter 16. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. Now, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, we don't know whether or not Samson and Delilah were ever married. We know that he was in lust, I mean love with her, but we also know that Delilah played Samson like an absolute fiddle. I mean, she owned him from the jump. And she, she, she was a real, really gifted actress. She, she, she could turn it on, man. She, oh, Samson, if thou dost loveth me. 
And so she goes to him to do what the Philistines wanted her to do. We don't know if she was a Philistine. We can imagine that she probably wasn't an Israelite. She was at the very least under the influence and the sway of the Philistine leaders. And so she begins to entice Samson. She begins to, to play him like that fiddle. And she says, if you really love me, you'll tell me what makes you so strong. You are so strong. And bats her eyes a little bit. And Samson, as we've already seen, kind of likes to play some pranks and some jokes. Samson's got jokes. And he begins by telling her, if you will take seven brand new bowstrings that have never shot an arrow and tie me up with seven of those new bowstrings, I'll be just as weak as any mortal human being. And so that's what she does. She waits for Samson to be asleep. She ties him up with the seven brand new bowstrings supplied to her by the Philistine leaders. And then look at how the Bible records this. Look at what happens. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings, and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not recovered, not discovered. Now, at this point, Samson should have clued in. Isn't it true that nothing will make a smart man dumb like a woman? Just as it's true that nothing will make a smart girl dumb like a man. I don't know what it is. Well, actually, I do know what it is, but that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> Samson keeps going back for more. He keeps going back for more. I think it was Maya Angelou who said, when somebody tells you, shows you who they are, believe them. Samson keeps going back for more. Delilah pitches another hissy fit. You've mocked me. You've scorned me. You've, you've played with my emotions. If you really loved me, you'd tell me the source of your strength. And he says, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's not seven new bowstrings. If you had brand new ropes, if you would tie me up with brand new ropes, then I would be just as weak as a normal mortal. And so again, Delilah waits for him to fall asleep. She ties him up with seven, brand, with, it doesn't say seven, but with brand new ropes. She goes, Samson, the Philistines are upon you to take you away. He snaps the ropes like little twigs. She pitches another hissy fit. If you really loved me, you would tell me the source of your strength, but instead you've mocked me and made me a laughingstock in the eyes of the town and the village. He goes, all right, all right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If, you see how long my hair is? Kind of Roman reigns long. If, if you would take my hair and weave it in a loom into a garment, then I would be as weak as a normal mortal. So Delilah, again, waits for him to fall asleep. She takes his hair, weaves it into the loom. It says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you to take you away. Samson wakes up, pulls his hair out of the loom, and takes care of the Philistines. At this point, Delilah is despondent. And finally, he wears, she wears him down. She wears him down. Here's the thing. When you keep going back for more, at some point, you will be worn down. Delilah just wears him down. And finally, he tells her, 
The secret is in the length of my hair. I've kept my hair long as a part of my vow to God. And in return, God has given me enormous physical strength to begin to release my people Israel from Philistine oppression. And so Delilah waits for him to fall asleep, and she begins to give him a haircut. And what happens next is one of the most tragic sentences in all the Bible. Verse 20, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. He didn't realize the Lord had left him. He thought this is just like one other, just another episode. I'm going to do the same thing I've always done. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. You see, at a certain point, God gives us over to our distractions. At a certain point, God will let us go. At a certain point, our distractions determine our downfall. And the insidious, the most dangerous part of all is we don't know where that point is. When you keep going back for more, you can be sure that you will be given over to those distractions. When you keep going back for more. Samson kept going back for more. The Bible says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. That, that's not a pretty picture, I know, on a Sunday morning, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, I think, I think all of us who have been alive for more than 15 minutes... We, we can say, yeah, I, there are definitely some distractions that I've gone back for more to. There, there have definitely been times when I've, I knew that I shouldn't go back to that relationship. I shouldn't go back to that habit. I shouldn't go back to whatever. But I keep going back for more. Samson did not realize that the Lord had left him. I, I thought about a few years ago, a really close friend of ours was being commissioned as a fighter pilot in the Navy down at Naval Air Station Kingsville. And our family got to go to the ceremony where they get their wings. It was a phenomenal experience. But we got down there a little bit early, and so we got to tour the Naval Air Station. And at one point, I got put in one of these flight simulators that they train fighter pilots on. And they said, okay, Pastor Mack, we're going to turn you loose. We're going to let you launch. We're going to launch you off of the aircraft carrier in a simulator. And then you're going to fly it and then bring it back in for a landing. I was like, I got this. So I, you know, I crawl into the cockpit and they close the hatch and all of a sudden the screen comes up and I'm like, whoa. And it kind of starts to rumble a little beneath you a little bit, you know. And, and all of a sudden it just whoo, launch you off of that thing. It was phenomenal. So I'm up there and I've got the, you know, the joystick and my feet on the pedals and the hammer to the floor and I'm going. And, and they said, all right, let's bring it in for a landing. I said, okay. And they said, there, do you see the ship? I go, no, I don't even see the boat. It's like a postage stamp out there in the middle of the ocean. And I go, I'm supposed to land on that? And I said, yeah, you, that's where, just aim for that. Just, just come in. And so as I'm coming in, I see the ship, and it, it's kind of getting a little larger and larger and larger on the screen. And, and I'm coming in, and, and, the, and the cockpit starts to kind of rattle and shake on me a little bit. And I'm kind of, 
They're going, and all of a sudden they go, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. I'm going, I'm pulling up, I'm pulling up. And I'm yanking back on the stick and, and everything. And I mean, I hit the very butt of that aircraft carrier. Cost millions of taxpayer dollars, <laughs> virtually. But I thought, that, that, that's Samson. Pull up, pull up. You had every opportunity. You, you were born with such promise. Pull up. But he wouldn't do it. He kept going back for more. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I hope you hear that our distractions do not have to determine our downfall. In the grace of Jesus, you have, I have the ability in the power of God to pull up, to quit chasing those distractions. But Samson never pulled out until it was too late. And he was captured by the Philistines. Look, look at what the Bible says. In, in the middle of this, in the middle of this, so the Philistines captured him and they gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. So now this beast of a man is literally working as a beast of burden for his enemies. But look at what the Bible says. But before long, his hair began to grow back. His hair began to grow back. And so even as a slave, even as someone who had forfeited the promise he had been born into, even as one who had lost his gift, God remembered him. God remembered Samson. And I love that even in slavery, his hair began to grow back. It's almost an afterthought. It's almost like a little asterisk in the story. And, and the Bible says that the Philistines were so happy to have the great Samson conquered. They, they kind of they treated him like a trophy in their trophy room. And they threw this massive party in one of their one of their temples. They had people on the floor, then there was a VIP section up top, and, and somebody, at some point when the wine was flowing freely, somebody said, hey, bring Samson out here. Let's bring old Sam out here to kind of entertain us. Let's bring out the life of the party, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, tower, power. Bring old Samson out here. And so a slave brought Samson out, and as he was bringing him out, Samson just kind of whispered something in the slave's ear. He said, "If you could you just park me between two pillars? Just, just bring me out between two pillars. And that's where the slave left him. Samson kind of blind, in chains, got his bearings and put his hands on these pillars. And you can kind of hear the mockery. You can hear the insults and the shouts of the Philistines who, who think that they've conquered Israel's deliverer. And then something really profound happens. Verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord. If you've got your Bible, you ought to underline that. Sovereign Lord. Remember me again. 
oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. And pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all of the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. God remembered him. God remembered Samson. But isn't it amazing that blinded, enslaved, defeated, in that condition, Samson said, Sovereign Lord. Samson declared the sovereignty of God, the authority of God, at the lowest point of his life. We, we've said before that the greatest spiritual challenge you'll ever have is success. Because when things are going bad, when, when you're in a position like Samson, when, when you're at your lowest, that's when we all, God, yes, God, I need you. Give you. But when things are good, when, when we experience victories, when we have promotion, when we experience prosperity, the temptation is to believe that we really do have it going on. But it was at this moment, the lowest moment of his life, Samson acknowledged the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is God and we are not. Now, sometimes, I think all of us kind of push back against the sovereignty of God. We, we, we kind of push back because the fact is we like to be sovereign. I like to determine my own destiny and chart my own course. But I, I want you to, to look beyond the superficial. And, and I want you to, I want you on this 4th of July weekend to recognize the freedom there is in the sovereignty of God. In the fact that God is sovereign. He is God and we are not. There is so much freedom. Yes, we have responsibility. But God has ultimate authority. And God is big enough to handle the authority. I'm not. You're not. True humility acknowledges the authority, the sovereignty of God. And it's the sovereignty of God that brings us to Jesus. You see, Samson, Samson is incredible foreshadowing. He is, he is a type. He's, he's, he points us toward Jesus. He, he was born for the deliverance of his people, just like Jesus was. He was chosen by God with incredible strength to deliver his people from bondage, just like Jesus. The difference is Samson, as a human being, when he died, he died. When Jesus died, Jesus expressed the justice of God. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he became 
my sin and your sin. And as such, he experienced the consequence, the sentence for sin is death. But Samson stayed dead. Jesus did what we couldn't have done for ourselves when he rose from the dead with the promise of new life. A new life for anyone who would follow him. For anyone who would choose to humble himself to say, you are God and I am not, and I will follow you. I will submit my life to Jesus. To the only one who will never take advantage of your submission. You see, when we submit to Jesus, when we choose to follow him, we step into the life that is truly life. We choose to turn our back literally on the distractions that we used to chase. And we find the freedom that Jesus died and rose again to provide. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, I'm going to ask nobody to be moving around. Don't, don't try to beat the Methodist to lubies or anything like that. But I want to ask you just to preserve this sacred moment. Because in this moment as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to choose to follow Christ. To respond to his grace initiative. Just right where you're sitting, to pray a prayer of beginning. If that's you, and you've never done that, but God's leading you to, we invite you to do it right now. Just to pray right where you're sitting. Something like this in your own words, silently talking to God, just from your heart to his. Just something like this. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I know that you know the distractions that I've chased. Even the distractions in my life right now. But I confess my sin to you to claim, to accept your complete forgiveness. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead for me. And right here, right now, I accept you. I acknowledge you as the Lord of my life. And I will follow you from this moment with everything I have. Jesus, I pray this first prayer in my life, in your name. Acknowledging you as the Lord of my life.
If you would, I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help with what's next. Because this is just the beginning. And so I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things, if you would, just right now, quietly, just First of all, take out the program that you got when you came in and begin filling out that info card that's there. Your name, contact info. And, and just below the contact information that we obviously always keep in-house, there's a place for you to indicate there, I committed my life to Christ this week. And what that does is that allows a conversation to start. A conversation where we can help with what's next, with next steps. When you finish that card, if you would just tear it off along the perforation there at the fold. And when we dismiss in just a minute, if you would hand that to one of our ushers. They've got on the blue shirts with the Lake Hills Church logo on them. But the second thing I want to ask you to do is, if you would, just as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high for a moment as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that you're surrounded by people who, who love you, who want to help. And as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and just tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.